Planet Worker, a world in development. Uganda, 2011. Flying into Entebbe across Lake Victoria is an awesome experience. It's an inland sea stretching to the horizon, currents and waves visible, but with a brown calmness quite different from the creamy turbulence of the ocean. After being efficiently fleeced of $50 for a visa, I dodged the taxi touts to a waiting shuttle. The ride to Kampala takes an hour, snaking through the belching trucks and too many cars on bumpy roads. Minibus taxis vie outrageously for position in the queue. Dust and diesel fumes palpable in the air, and my eyes are gritty within minutes. Uganda, finally. After crisscrossing the region for years, Uganda has been the most obvious gap in the travel log, and my imagination and professional interest has always been fired by Ugandan politics and culture. Ugandan politics is in many ways defined by its geography. It is a landlocked country bordered to the east by Kenya, to the west by the Democratic Republic of the Congo, to the southwest by Rwanda, and finally to the south by Tanzania. Over the last five decades, it literally sits in an axis of conflict-affected neighbours and has itself experienced fragility and upheaval. In my own mind, Uganda's history is characterised by snatches of media-induced infamy mixed with a real sense of African-style politics. Entebbe, airport heroic rescue or disaster, depending on your point of view. Regular but unpredictable ethnic conflict and shocking state-sponsored violence are complemented by occasional but lethal bombings. They have their own 9-11, only it having taken place on 7-11. And of course, the shadow of Idi Amin. After a brutal eight-year reign in the 70s, Amin's terror was ended after the Uganda-Tanzania War in 1979 in which Tanzanian forces aided by Ugandan exiles invaded Uganda. This was to be the last time Tanzania forces engaged in a war. Power in Uganda follows a typical strongman model. Uganda's current president is Yoweri Museveni, who took power in 1986 after a protracted six-year guerrilla war. Museveni is one of the remaining African oligarchs, still in power following constitutional amendments that removed term limits for the president, and he was able to stand and was elected president in the 2011, 2016 and 2021 general elections. His seemingly unassailable hold on power and entitlement to rule put him in the order of royalty, something along the lines of a Machiavellian prince. His extended presidency has been marred by conflict and abuse, by invading and occupying the Democratic Republic of Congo during the Second Congo War, resulting in an estimated 5.5 million deaths since 1998, and by participating in other conflicts in the Great Lakes region of Africa, most recently in South Sudan. Internally, he has struggled for years in the civil war against the Lord's Resistance Army, which has been guilty of numerous crimes against humanity, and conflict in northern Uganda has killed thousands and displaced millions. Internally, 
Museveni's reign has been characterised by crackdowns on his own people, persecution and control of civil society and NGOs, torture and disappearance of social justice activists and opposition voices, and terrible abuse and persecution of sexual and gender minorities, many of whom face an awful death with the complicity of the Ugandan government. Contrasting this, my image of Uganda is replete with picture postcards of vibrant African culture bursting with colour, and the fond memory of Ugandan friends and acquaintances, smart, funny and gregarious. Kampala comes across like a mix between a suburb and an industrial zone. Building sites and trucks are everywhere, blocking and frustrating traffic even in so-called posh areas. There are no pedestrian walkways on many of the roads, forcing those walking to risk getting clipped by passing vehicles or transferred to a moped taxi. All over Kampala, temporary havens call you in just off the roadside. Pubs, restaurants, general stores. We choose an Indian restaurant and relax in the aromas of spice and the faint smell of urine. After a day, we head out to Kamuli, 80 miles out. The road is atrocious after passing through Jinja, the source of the Nile. Neglect has seen it disintegrating into a patchwork of potholes and islands of tarmac. It's bone-jarring and head-whirling stuff as we alternate between bouncing, accelerating and weaving. Amidst close calls, the driver announced the new Speaker of Parliament has a big farm further down this road. Anticipation is high of a speedy road resurfacing. We visit a school that's recently won a sanitation competition. I stifle the obvious toilet humour. They're proud of their achievement, and they should be. Dirt poor, but with obvious passion they belt out a sanitation anthem and a poem they have composed. Classic. Slightly unnerving, but quite touching. Brimming with enthusiasm, they even give me a Ugandan name. Reluctantly, they let us leave after a quick tour and we move to another school where hundreds of curious kids congregate to stare at the visitors. We're all introduced and I'm asked to say a few words. I convey the usual thanks and my delight at getting a Ugandan name. They erupt with delighted laughter when I mispronounce it some even rolling in the dirt with mirth. A royal prince's name, but with a twist. It's a complicated story of royal intrigue and political manipulation. A clever joke. There's something quite humbling when a middle-aged white man is the object of delight for hundreds of howling African children. I sit and grin and take it in. We're late getting out and there's a problem with accommodation in the town, posing one of those funny dilemmas on field trips. There's only one room left. My companion, a buxom Ugandan woman, and I, the Mzungu, look at each other, sizing up the options. Split? Not really practical, nor good security practice. Share the room? Our eyes meet. Not possible. It's back to Ginger in the dark. Two hours later, shaken and exhausted, we roll up to the chosen hotel. We're greeted by a disinterested waiter standing in as the receptionist. We're booked for budget rooms, 
60 bucks per night. I asked whether they have rooms with a view over the lake. After all, I am at the source of the Nile for tonight only. Standard rooms, 100 per night, is his response. I take this upgrade and trundle down to the separate lodge in the dark with my bags. The room window faces a bland prefab garden wall, has nothing in it but a four-poster bed in the middle of the room and bedding that looks like the crazed black and white cowhide. I march resolutely back to the reception to get my view, where I'm informed without any sense of irony. Only one room has a view. It's upstairs and it's already occupied. Deflated, exhausted, I stumble back to my room, climb into bed, and I'm asleep in minutes amongst the wine of mosquitoes. After an ice cold shower, no soap, and an unappetizing early breakfast, we're heading out. I've gulped down three cups of black coffee to counter the shower and my foul mood, and I'm on edge. As I leave, the impeccably dressed manageress gives me a brilliant, glowing smile. Did I enjoy my stay? And will I come back? For a second, I consider whether it's worth it, decide it is, and put down my bags. I spot her later through the window as we drive out, clearly still rattled by an irate Mzungu outburst. Hollow victories. The day becomes a blur of transit, first the paralegal project, then the children's centre, then the parents' group, all dealing with the rights of children and girls, inheritance, education, equality. I'm touched by the words of a wizened, grisly Masogo man. We've become much better humans since our children have been coming to school. They've taught us to be better. I'm feeling overloaded and I'm relieved when we exit and pull into the country club for lunch. No golf course in sight for probably 100 kilometres. Tilapia, rice, wild spinach and matoki. Comfort food. Sated and dozy, I watch a cockroach lazily wander over the empty lunch plates. It's my last night. Back in Kampala, we're late for a formal dinner at an Mzungu restaurant. It's French-Belgian. I spy frog's legs on the menu and consider whether I'm game enough. I've seen the state of the rivers near the city and can't get the picture of floating scum out of my mind. Better not. My garrulous companions are great company and I get a lesson on modern Ugandan politics over drinks. Here, culture and clan is everything I learn. The politics can be brutal. Beware of stray trucks on the road if you're a member of the opposition. That kind of politics. We stay longer than planned and finally head off into the empty streets to bed. In the morning, we're pulled over on the way out to Entebbe Airport as a minister's motorcade shoots past. The taxi driver is quick to react and we slipstream to the airport behind flashing lights, sirens and two black Mercedes filled with kids. His, I presume, or else the school lift club for the elite. Lake Victoria is bathed in sunlight as I take off from Entebbe. Immense, beautiful, I'll be back.